Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Sunderland continue to impress in the Cup and can this finally be the week that it can transfer over into league form? Probably not. We're talking the semi-final with James Hunter, the Sunderland reporter from the Evening Chronicle. You all fit and well, James. How's that How's that football injury? Uh, yeah, well, it's getting a little bit better. I've not yet uh, ventured back on the five-a-side court, but I'm, I can walk properly now, yeah, which is yeah, I was going to say, you aren't hobbling about like you were last <laughs> no. time you were in. <laughs> we're also joined by Martin McFadden from Love Supreme, who helped us also talk about Fulham, and we're going to talk about transfers and stuff later on. We're in a positive mood now, Martin, following the news regarding the cancellation of this bubble trip. Yeah, definitely. It's been a, it's been a good week, a tiring week, but a good one. Mm-hmm. More on that just now. Welcome to the Wise Men's Here podcast. Welcome along. Tons to get through tonight. We are also speaking to Ed Malian from the Mirror, and he's going to talk to us about the Argentinian contingent that we've been linked with. And we're going to be talking to our old friend Jabsco as well, who's going to be talking about Liam Bridcut, which is probably the least surprising transfer target of this window. Firstly, we touched upon the subject there, where you're going to speak to Michael Brunskin from the FSF. And Michael, can you just explain to any Sunderland fan who's been living on Mars in the last week, can you just give us an overview of what's happened in the last few days, You know what, what's took place behind the scenes, and what decisions have, have we finally reached on? Hiya, fellas, you all right? Yeah. Um, yeah, last week, as I'm sure everyone knows, um, it was announced that the time we had Derby would be a bubble match so there'd be really stringent travel restrictions placed. Fans couldn't basically travel there how, how they wanted. And um, from that point we realised that the, the Football Supporters Federation realised that there was really like natural anger from Sunderland fans about it understandably but also there was a lot of sympathy from um, Newcastle fans so we started speaking to parties on both sides. To be fair, people like Martin from ELS were really up for doing something joint. So was um, True Faith magazine and a whole host of other groups, including obviously Wise Men's Hate. So we got all the parties together. We, we um, sat down, talked about it, and everyone was basically saw things the same way. You know, the bubble match wasn't right. Um, Sunderland fans obviously had concerns. This occasion, I'm, for the record, for what it's worth, I'm a, I'm a Sunderland fan, although I probably wouldn't have enough points <laughs> to get to the derby. Um, <laughs> But also Newcastle fans um, were, were concerned as well because the thought was unfair on Sunderland fans, but also it's like a dangerous precedent, you know. Um, if they get, um, if it happens this year to Sunderland fans, maybe next year it would happen to Newcastle fans if fingers crossed we do stay up. Um, so we got together, campaigned about it. Um, the Sunderland were good. We met with them, spoke to them about it. They shared similar concerns. Well shared a lot of the concerns we have. There was a bit of back and forth, obviously, that people have read about between Northumbria Police and the clubs who eventually, pleasingly, came down on the side of the fans. So well done, the clubs. Well done, all the fans and fans groups coming together, campaigning. Well done, individual fans 
who um, had their say, you know, an Emil Linen campaign as well. I was going to say that it's important to, to thank the clubs in this, definitely, isn't it? Because, I mean, the the campaign about getting the bubble trip cancelled, and if anything, we probably came out with a little bit more than we hoped in the, in the promise that some of these ridiculous early kickoffs might be scrapped in the future as well. Yeah, well, it, it's an interesting one with the early kickoffs, isn't it? Because definitely um, fans would rather have like 3 pm kickoffs or whatever, you know. But um, what we've seen is that what's really kicked people over the edge is the, is the bubble aspect of it, isn't it? When you combine the two together, it's like too much for people. And um, I think what the what 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 maybe the police were maybe thinking was that they they could get away with it, but people just weren't having it, you know, and I genuinely think it, I mean, all the fans groups come together as brilliant, FSF were happy to lead it, um, but it genuinely couldn't have happened without without individual fans, you know, emailing, contacting the club and all that was really crucial to it. Martin McFadden, what was the most, what's the most satisfying aspect of all this, do you think, the fact that the clubs have listened, what was the most important issue from the start for you in this? Um... <clears throat> It was a bit of a blur in a way, to be honest with you, but I think the good thing about it is that we managed to sort it out so quickly because I kind of felt by going to the first meeting, we'd probably just have like loads of negativity and everyone sitting around kind of slagging off the clubs and slagging off the police, and obviously that's like quite easy to do in this situation, but we had like a meeting for an hour in which we wrote a press release, and then I'd, I'd spoken to Sunderland Football Club about it, they'd like contacted me, and I'd I said, well, why not invite them along to the meeting to actually kind of, like, give their point of view, you know? And um, <clears throat> after an hour, they came along, and we kind of resolved the whole issue within 24 hours through opening it up to different parties, really. Um, I mean, obviously, we didn't speak to Newcastle. They hadn't implemented it, but someone was speaking to them, and the police were pretty vocal in their <laughs> terrible press releases. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know who gets paid to write them, but um, maybe somebody clever should apply for that job. <laughs> Gareth, put your name forward. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think that would be. Um, I think it would go downhill. Um, but yeah, uh, sort of moving forward as well. Obviously, we discussed um, sort of trying to create, you know, a bit of positivity around, you know, the interaction with the fans off the pitch. Obviously, you know, going forward, it, it's going to be an opportunity for fans to get together and, you know, work together on issues that sort of that we've got um, outside the club and. and and, and football matches uh, in the northeast of England, so I think that's a positive thing to come out of it. I, don't, I, I think there'll be more said about that, obviously, in the next few weeks. Am, am I right, Michael? Yeah, yeah, I think that's spot on. I think, say, I mean, obviously, getting away from the on the pitch rivalries and everything. At the end of the day, the same issues affect um, fans in Sunderland and Newcastle. You know, and they're just watching a team with different colours, whether it's like um, extortion ticket prices or or the policing and stewarding of things or whether it's Sky messing about with kickoffs, you know, all these issues cut across all fans and I think that's what the FSF's about, you know, we 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 try and bring fans together and help fans get like beyond the tribal rivalries and I think but we need fans to be like mature enough to, to talk about it and that's been what's been brilliant about this, you know, really good to see everyone get on board and I was really pleased from your own perspective as you guess from the accent I'm not from Sunderland I'm from Gateshead so I'm used to knocking about with mags <laughs> but um, on this occasion like it was really good to hear from my mates who a lot of my mates who are mags who were really like supportive of Sunderland fans who weren't having a laugh and sneering you know it was more about like how can we um, how can we do something about this you know because it's just not right and it's not often you hear that it was brilliant 
Mm. I think this whole thing sent out so many messages all in one little go, isn't it? I think the yeah, yeah, and it, like the next thing would be like say we want to, we want to make sure leading up to the derby that um, everyone gets together and and like act sensibly and um, and see where we can go from here. You know, it's not just about the derby. We'll see where we'll go from here. Like I see, everyone's got the same annoyances about ticket price and that. So let's see if the northeast can do something special on that front. I think the the sort of partnership between the the two clubs and, and the sets of fans, you know, over this issue is fantastic. But what we don't know is is what the, the sort of the end game is going to be um, over this. Um, I don't really know what um, what the police's next move will be. Um, obviously, for any game, you've got to have a safety certificate, and um, if the police choose to to take a hard line, then they could ban away fans entirely. That would that would be one option open to them, but the clubs also have other options too. They could approach another police force to police the game. They could approach Durham Police, uh, or maybe maybe Merseyside, or somebody that uh, that has already policed uh, derby games with later kickoffs. So there are a lot of interesting developments that could yet happen. It'd be further disaster for the PR. I think wouldn't it if that to go down that route? <laughs> it would. Yeah. It would. If, if Northumbria Police say yeah. we can't do it, and and somebody else says, well, we'll come and do it for you. Mm. That would make them look rather foolish. Who knows. <laughs> okay. It's going to be an interesting, I think, you know, interesting few weeks, I think. But, you know, I think it's massively, I just think it's a lot of positivity that's come out of it. And I know what you're saying, James, but at the same time, it's great that the two clubs have come together with the supporters. And, you know, it's yeah. it's strength and unity, isn't it? I think oh, it's really good. It is. It? I, yeah. mean, I mean, I'm yeah. entirely behind oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's. I think that's that's fantastic. That's the really positive thing. I'm just interested to see where it goes from, from here. Yeah. But I think it's good that the, that the clubs have... have Work towards sort of common common objectives and, and common goals. I think that's you know that's very important because there's been so much bad publicity about the rivalry over over the years. I mean the on pitch rivalry is fantastic and everybody loves that, but the some of the goings on off the pitch over the years you know are, are not great. And it's good that we're hopefully trying to move past that. And credit where it's due again, Alan, because we all like to knock the mumma can, yeah. especially yeah. Uh, especially yeah, yeah. in formats like this. And it's, yeah. um, I think I read that statement about ten times with this man on my yeah. face over yeah, and yeah. over again. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for coming on, Michael. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, lads. Cheers. Cheers. So, from a victory off a field to a victory on the field, a win in the cup semi-final, Gareth. And what is it with these cup games? It is. Is it just as simple as the pressure's off? Because that's it's a, it's a pretty obvious statement to make, but there might be something in it. I think cup semi-final brings its own pressures, doesn't it? So I don't mm. know if it's about that. I just think I don't think we've been too bad recently, and um, maybe you know we've lost a few games by the odd goal. I think I said actually I thought we would win the odd game by the odd goal and lose the odd game by the odd goal it's just going to be a case of trying to win as many as I possibly can rather than losing them so but we've seen it we've got you know maybe slight rub of the green at times in the cup that we haven't had in the league certainly though Martin I mean that that theory is proved in, in some aspects I think because when you look at the players in the cup games there doesn't seem the nervousness on the ball and the anxiousness sometimes that the league games are bringing the desperation to make a final through ball and the like yeah definitely I mean um, I, th- I think in both game, both the sort of main games Chelsea and Man U we, we played really well in the night and, and players just seem to be more up for the cup games and also we seem to be playing better against against the better teams um, you know I think I think we kind of got like a little bit of luck with the penalty Although the more I watch it, the more I think it actually well, yeah, might have I'd been a penalty. I, um, I think you'd see more to them given. I think. But I, the, the most amusing thing I found. I mean, obviously we've got to remember that it's only half time in this in this match. But the most amusing thing I found was like a Manchester United manager actually saying it was really difficult to play against the team and the referee 
that in my lifetime watching something against Manchester United, it's always been the other way around. Um, you know, and for for David Moyes to complain about that, I think he's taken over a team that aren't as good as what Man U have generally been over the last twenty years. He's got Ferguson watching him every week, um, and I don't think he can handle it. Good time to play Man United, James, was it? I think it was, yeah. I think you know they've got massive problems. I think, well, I, I agree with I agree with Martin. Um, you know, they've uh, I think probably uh, the inheritance from Sir Alex Ferguson hasn't been a great one for David Moyes. I thought last season that the Manchester United team that won the league, um, albeit by a fair distance, was was pretty poor um, in in comparison to previous years, um, and it was really only uh, Manchester's failings um, that. Uh, that enabled them to win it last year. Um, I think this this isn't a, a vintage Manchester United team. Uh, it's a good time to catch them. I think uh, David Moyes is still uh, struggling to to adapt to the to the job. And it was interesting to hear a Manchester United manager um, having to resort to to criticising the referee. And uh, it's the first time you've almost seen that from yeah, this season. Against the team, sort the, of seen them snap a little yeah, bit didn't against you? The, against the team that, that with the best will in the world is, is bottom of bottom of the league and he wasn't mm. even to, to my mind he wasn't even arguing that it wasn't a penalty he was arguing how could the linesman have seen it he, mm. he was sort of, he was, he, he was outraged that it had been spotted was rather than the, <laughs> the first goal he was outraged with a free kick can anybody oh, say can anybody say. say that was anything other no. than a free kick it was, when, should no. have been a yellow well yeah. the commentators on Sky when I watched the game yeah. back but you know said that when I watched yeah. it back so that's a bit of a strange one. That. He, I don't know if that, maybe that's the first bit of a yeah. advice Ferguson's given. Get, get, get into the refs at yeah. the end of the game. He didn't seem to mind that, that the referee let Raphael off uh, well, with the exactly, second yellow yeah. card. That, that, that decision seemed to be okay. Mm. We absorbed everything that they threw at us all, Gareth, didn't we? Uh, Man United. Similar to Man City and Newcastle in that we conceded one goal and it was just a bit of a sloppy one, wasn't it? Or sheer. He's always going to lose a man every now and again, isn't he? But apart from that, generally speaking... I didn't feel that feel that threatened throughout the game. No. They just talked about before the Man United when we've previewed the games. I just think they lack that thrust. There's no real sort of that like that they used to have. I mean, I think Rooney gives them that because it's like our problems on a lot on a lot higher level. Yeah, Pro- yeah, probably. I think that's there's, fair. There's but parallels I, there, isn't it? I don't think you know maybe the way Moyes wants to play doesn't best utilize the the options that he's got. Um, maybe if he changed the way he played, then he could get the best out of the players. Where while he hasn't got that player to give him that thrust, but. Um, yeah, I think you're right what you say about Fabio because Bardsley was booked for the same thing about five minutes before. Um, and, you know, the, I mean, the morning about the referee, I mean, he managed to turn it into Man- a Manchester United loss rather than a Sunderland win, I think. Which and, all appear, the yeah, press have and all that, done. And they just yeah. jumped on it. And, and, you know, I mean, a knee and elbow in the back on Fletcher, it's a, it's a foul, it's a free kick. We score, you know, you've got to, you know, be big enough to deal with it. I mean, the penalty thing, I mean, cleverly's tried there. He's tried to tackle him from behind his, with his like wrong it's a leg. Stu- yeah. Stupid I mean, tackle. Just, I, mean Stupid I was screaming no for it in the game, and you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe the ref hadn't given it. And I was obviously delighted the linesman had given it, but um, yeah, it was you know, it looked a penalty. Um, you know, it might have been a bit soft in some respects, but he's running full pelt, which you know, Johnson, fair to Johnson, he doesn't do it well often enough, but he, he certainly did in that instance, and um, he got his reward so. And the fact yeah. is, the fact is, you know, if you play football, you, you know, if somebody's running running flat out, you don't have to do much. Yeah, no. and that's how you can you can then stand back and say, you know, yeah. I didn't I didn't do anything. You don't you only have to give yeah. the slightest nudge. And I think as Gareth said definitely. there, when he's went with his wrong foot, he's given the linesman a, a decision yeah. to make there. Hasn't yeah. He's got his body shape wrong. He's trying to hook a hook a ball. It's he's clumsy, got no, isn't it? It's, it's just clumsy. stupid tackle. One of the things that I thought was this interesting, is in England. This is in England regular. By the way. <laughs> One of the things that I th- that I thought was interesting was with about two minutes into in the time added on. 
Ryan Giggs, who isn't really known for for being that arsy with the referees, was arguing and arguing and arguing with the referee when really he should have just got on with the game. And um, I think it shows if he's under pressure. I know he's like more got more of a coaching role now, so cracks are a pain. Probably, aren't yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was. I, I, I thought you know normally with Man U, you kind of wait for that onslaught, don't you? Yeah. You know, and the, and they've got the ball for the last ten minutes, yeah. and, you, and you're camped, and you're half. That didn't happen. Well, you remember remember the game at Old Trafford when uh, Sunderland were leading, and uh, it was constant Man United pressure, and eventually they broke through with the own goal, mm. didn't they? In, in injury mm. time, uh, yeah. you know the the one off uh, Anton Ferdinand mm-hmm. going even but, further but, back. I remember the, Katnar in the FA Cup, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, a lot of years but, ago. But I think once you take once you take Rooney and uh, Van Persie out, out of the team, um, they're, they're probably about where they are in the league. A couple of individual performances I want to mention: Martin McFadden is. As you know who listen to this show, we kind of dedicate a section to Phil Bardsley every week. Um, but he's always sort of in the news. Is he further on the road to redemption now? Can he do any more than he is? Because I thought it was one of the best performances I've seen him play for us, perhaps, midweek. Yeah, for me, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I think he got... People were really unfair to him. He was used as a scapegoat by Paolo Di Canio, who was later to be found to be completely insane. You know? <laughs> um, so, and, I, and I think people were just having a go at Bardsley, but... I think they've got short memories. Everybody knows he's not the greatest player going forward, um, but he will give like a hundred percent. and And I think when he was being sort of ostracised and in like an, un, an unloved, he obviously, he obviously reacted badly with that with that thing on Instagram. But he, it was against a Canio, it wasn't against the club. Um, and at least he was one of the players that was out celebrating the fact that we stopped up. Fair enough, he shouldn't have been out. But let's face it, footballers always do things wrong, you know. Sesson <laughs> Young probably didn't even know what the score was at the time, you know. <laughs> so it, it, at least yeah. you know what you're going to get from him. He, he's, he's probably not the type of fullback that Poyet wants in the team at the minute, you know, because he, we need somebody probably more like Alonso um, <clears throat> on the right. But I thought he was great. Um, you know, his tackling was great, and I think I think he's been as good as anyone. And if you kind of go back to Swansea, the situation that he kind of faced away at Swansea, where he couldn't seem to do anything right, like like fair play to him, he, he stood up and be counted. I think there's a lot of people that are getting slagged off, like Larson, O'Shea, people like that. And to be honest with you, you know we've had four managers in the last year, and they've all picked them. So, yeah. like that's what we've got available. You know, players I think will generally like that. They'll always give a hundred percent. They may not be as good as what we as what we want, but they're trying the best. I think it's it's some of the foreign players that have come along that haven't bothered their arse that people should be criticising. Yeah, you don't come away from games very often saying Phil Bosley didn't try today, mm. do you? On a point, those couple of good points there on on both Bardsley and Larson. I would say about Bardsley is um, they almost think that Poyet. I know what you're saying about you don't think he's the kind of player who would fit into his system, but we've spoke about with Craig Clark on the podcast as well. It's that it's almost Poyet has eliminated the problem areas of Barley's game by making mm. him have to play it short because his, his problem was always giving the ball away cheaply with these stupid long balls down the line doesn't play them anymore because he's, attack- he's attacking he doesn't play the ball inside his own half very often he's always in the opposition half so that problem's eliminated and as a result he looks he looks a better player we're not as wasteful and if, if it doesn't matter who's giving the ball away if you give the ball away you haven't got it so you can't do anything with it and he was that was a prime problem on the subject of Larson as well I thought he was outstanding the other night. I thought he was probably our best midfielder of the mm. three. I know Key always gets all applauded because of he looks nice, doesn't he? And he is a very good player. But Larson, you know, and I think we should highlight the fact 
because we always do end up and it's not a nasty thing we always end up using him as a sort mm. of like a yardstick for the kind of midfield that we don't want to be fair to him like Mike Martin says he always gives everything you can't dispute that he, he, he's limited at times but it's a discipline he shows in that position he's not a central midfielder he's a, he's a right midfielder and he's played central midfield for us for ages now and yeah he does he's not unbelievable footballer but you know, sometimes some of the donkey work he does for the team, you know, like it. But people dif- see it differently. People sit in different parts of the ground, see it differently. But I just thought he was. I thought he was brilliant, Larson, the other night. I thought he was. I've never had a the, problem with Larson's work. Got in the, f- the faces and commitment. Just. But he broke. Up, if you watch how many times he broke up the play the other night, how tight he was getting. Um, like well, I mean, I know it was cleverly. He was resting the ball off at times. Who, you know, looks, you know, bottom bottom three Premier League player <laughs> at best to be honest um, I'd rather have Larson than Cleverly in my team I think to be honest <laughs> um, Switching to the other side then from we're talking about Bardsley there going to the other side left back James great debut for Alonso kept Valencia quiet looked good on the ball I think he's bigger and stronger than a lot of people anticipate as well but I know on Sky they give him man of the match so his debuts go wasn't a bad one was it I thought he did well yeah particularly in the first half um, I, I think you know he, he probably tied a little in the second but in the first half I thought he was uh, he was excellent at, at, you know in the first half an hour or so he was probably Sunderland's uh, best attacker getting forward and getting behind uh, the Man United defence down the left there uh, so I, I took a lot of lot of encouragement from that you know as as uh, Gus Poyet's first signing I thought it was quite a, quite a good statement that the player he got came straight into the team and made an impact yeah well that's a Excellent point about the first sign and Martin because I, I was just about to say it to James. It's a good sign. The point knows what kind of player he wants. He's he's implemented this system to the side who, probably a lot of the players, if we're being honest, aren't greatly equipped for it. But it's still made a significant difference. So now he's got the chance to implement his own players into the side. A good start for Lonzo, and it, it it gives you belief that it's going to be more of the same. Although we do remember Cabral's debut. Yeah, well, this is it, and he's gone today, isn't he? Um, if someone said to me. A couple of days ago, that when um, Cabral goes, that means that um, Bridcut's coming in. So that'll be quite interesting if that's the case, because I think obviously that'll be the next that'll be the next sort of sign, and that would that would form the team. Although I think it would be unfair to kind of just get rid of Catamol completely because he's obviously such a key player, but he is going to be injured and suspended at at some point. And and also, I mean, like Colback was excellent against Carlisle, and then obviously didn't feature at all the other night. And when you're playing twice a week. You're gonna to have to rotate yeah, like that, you know. Yeah. I think we need we need more bodies, we need more quality, and if we didn't, we wouldn't be bottom of the league. You talk about new signings, though, and you're right. But you look at, you know, Brown came back in under Poyet and mm. did very well. I know he's been injured, and he would have come back in under under any manager if available. And also Bardsley, who was completely frozen out, and he brought Bardsley back in. He has been like a new signing. He's the only manager he's basically played for this season so yeah I mean it's good to see that Poyet's having positive impacts on new players who are coming into the side into the starting 11 not just the squad and you know his substitutions in the again in the Manchester United game Johnson I criticised him on Twitter at the weekend that you know people see a game differently as I say and I, I thought he was a lot of the basics that he did were I thought he was quite poor um he was a bit laboured on the ball, but a lot of people said he thought it was their man of the match. I know you gave him the man of the match on Rogue Report, didn't you? So mm. he seemed different ways, but you know, massive credit to Johnson for coming on the other night and well as well and playing as playing like he did. He, he'd like gained a yard, two yards of pace, hadn't he? <laughs> he where where did that come from? 
Looking yeah. looking back to the Cardiff game as well, don't forget that the the two lads that scored were the two substitutes. Substitute, so yeah. the substitutes are affecting games. Barini. I think that's what he likes, yeah. isn't it, Poyer? He likes to have sometimes you think, Well, why is he not playing? But then he likes players to come on when one of the when the other team's tiring, like impact players who can't actually, you know, sort of like do something and if you have too many creative players in midfield, which is obviously what Decanio was doing, then you're gonna like you're gonna concede a lot of goals. So I think first of all, Poyer had to stop us conceding so many goals with, by retaining the ball, and he's done that with the players that that we've got, and I think he's gonna he's gonna tweak that now. I mean, we're still bottom of the league, but and sometimes it is frustrating the way the player like, against like Villa once the fall behind, there's not a great deal of sort of like penetration because by the time you get the ball <clears throat> towards the other team's 18 yard box, they're all behind they're all behind the ball, you know, but. Um, I think he's doing the right thing slowly but surely and um, we're catching up, we're in the Cups so I think it's like a positive time at the minute And You mentioned there that playing against sides like Aston Villa are going to come um, put people behind the ball and you also mentioned about Adam Johnson and I mentioned both those things to Gus Point earlier on because I was working for Sun FM and this is how the conversation went After the Norwich and Aston Villa game you were, you were clearly disappointed with those hmm. games in particular so the commonality there I think it's fair to say that Perhaps when you play, you're playing against sides who are, who are sitting back, challenging you to break them down. Maybe we're struggling. So at least we we shouldn't have that on the weekend, should we? Because Fulham are likely to come at you. Yeah, well, that's a great point, and I think that's important that we we take it that we accept it as a team, as a group of players on the pitch. But again, we need to wait and see what they're going to do, how they're going to plan the game themselves. But uh, I'm sure that the first few minutes is going to be like that, so it should be good for us. Uh, okay. You know what? We've got a great opportunity. I think this this opportunity, you know, you don't have quite often. We didn't have too many this year, apart from the last two weeks or three. So let's make sure we take it. It's probably a little bit of a misconception that um, people suggest sometimes your, your sides almost like to maybe walk the ball into the net almost. But you were very um, you, you give Adam Johnson a lot of praise against Manchester United when he ran with the ball. He was direct and took people on. So that's certainly something you want to say more of. I think that when you change the the way of playing, it's always, always, eh? anyway, one way or the other, it's always a little bit of confusion and a little bit of um, difficulties as a, as a group of players on the pitch to understand exactly the the way you play. Not because you keep the ball, it means that you don't attack. Not because you keep the ball, it means that you need to play sideways all the time. But that that, that is very easy for a few players, but to have it as a group is very difficult. Um, we got freedom to finish the action. We got freedom to take people on. We know the players that they are good at. We give him freedom to cross and to you know go in the box and to run. And you know there is plenty of things that they are free to do. It they express themselves. That's what I like it to hear from my managers. You know, go in the box as much as you can when the ball is wide, and then it's up to you to have the timing and the ability to go. Now, and uh, do we do it all the time? We don't. I mean. Uh, in the first few games I was in charge, we couldn't have more than five or six shots. Now the last few away from home, we're having 20 regularly. How many you need? So there are things that we're doing right, but we're still suffering from something that happened in the beginning. That you know, is we're carrying a big weight that has been difficult to take it away, but it slowly looks like we are doing it. So let's let's continue. Well, I saying a league table the other day that was refreshed from when you took over. And I think the side were about 11 for 12. Could you not maybe pin that one up in the dressing room? Say that's a fair, <laughs> a fair reflection. Well, no, but not out. Um, the problem is that I cannot use that one. Uh, but it, it would be nice because I show you how we are as a team and how difficult we are. 
and how good we we doing. But you know, we have seven games before that that put us in the situation that we are, and that counts. So when I refer to the season, I refer to the first game. You know, when we play Fulham, even if I was not here, because that uh, where we are and why we are in the position down there in the bottom. Sunderland have sold out their allocation for the game down Fulham, and nice. Fulham also have a, a neutral end where it's expected a lot of Sunderland fans will be there as well. So you expect them to be loud, help help you help the side. I think they've they been great. I mean, they got a few songs that they don't stop singing. That one that we're gonna get better, which <laughs> is another one. Even me, I'm on the bench like I'm moving. Uh, but uh, that that show you that we, we we know that they are there and we know how important they are for us. And I think incredible and uh, difficult to explain. I think the away fans are probably a little bit more happier than the, the home fans in the league, which uh, I'm sure, the, no, I hope that it continues. Okay, Thank, you. Thank you. Go on, boys. That was when I spoke to Gus earlier on for Sun FM. I also asked him about transfers, well, Nick Barnes did, and um, he was very he was very cagey about it, and he said the only thing he would talk about was Cabral going out, which we've just discussed, and he mentioned that Santiago Vigini is close. So him, uh, along with two of the Argentinians, who Mariano and the Skoko, who we spoke to Christian Edge about last week, we are going to speak to Ed Millian from the Mirror, and our old friend Jabsko about Liam Bridcut as well, because that one seems inevitable, and that's coming up next. <laughs> Okay, we have Ed Malian now who's going to speak to us about those three Argentinians. And Ed, I, I, the first one to start with, because Gus Poyet has said today that the signing of Santiago Virgini is close. I heard the other day, uh, I think it might have been on TalkSport, somebody referred to him as a little clumsy. <laughs> can you elaborate on that or can you give us your opinion? Um, I think he's decent. Uh, he kind of came to prominence in that Newell's team of the last... 12 to 18 months under Gerardo Martino he's obviously now at Barcelona uh, he's very handy kind of strong com- confident I'd say confident defender uh, in the Argentine league uh, I wouldn't say he's been that good in the last few months at Estudiantes um, my fear for him is his mobility and his speed and how that would work out I mean he's got to hit the ground running really if, if uh, Sunderland are going to stay up if they're going to have any chance of staying up Uh and just for me, it's a bit of a weird move. I know he's 25, there's time to improve, but bringing him in mid-season is, is a big ask. And I think possibly it could be one that's no better than what you've already got. Right. Um, <laughs> so was it... Is it, slightly, the bad news is, it, is, it, is it slightly exaggerated than that he, he was on Barcelona's radar? Yeah. Um, yeah well, no, I think... Um, you know, inevitably when Martino moved clubs, so there was going to be there were going to be some links um, of players, but he's he's nowhere near that standard. Absolutely nowhere near. Um, you know, I think he. Who are you playing at the moment? You're playing John O'Shea. O'Shea and Brown when fit. Yeah, yeah O'Shea and Brown. Same sort of limitations as those. So I'd say he's more comfortable on the ball than both. But uh, those two have got a kind of very vital mouth for this league, and I think the relegation battle that's going to be massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while he's you know he's got all the kind of the basics there that you'd want, not particularly quick is is his main weakness. And uh, as long as Poyet, if, if Poyet brings in Bridcut, I think Virginie and Bridcut both come to one possession at the back will help you keep the ball a lot better, which which could be crucial to kind of rebuilding the side and improving 
the second half of the season. But otherwise, I don't think it's a phenomenal signing uh, for a team in your position. Okay, and the Skokor one is interesting because... There was, That's what I'd be excited about. Yeah, well, there, there were some reports last week that this may have just been his agents trying to, to drum up a move and get people interested in him, but there's, there's reports today that, that Gus Poyer... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It has, he hasn't ruled it out, so to speak. So well, that, that's is, is I, understand, I understand that that's the way around. Um, we had it in the paper last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his agent is, is close with Roberto DeFanti, which has been the main driver behind a lot of Sunderland's moves over the last eight to nine months. Yeah. And uh, he's good. I mean, that's the, the main thing you need to take from it. He's a, he's a very handy goal scorer. He didn't have a great time in in Europe in Greece with AEK Athens and then went to the Middle East playing for Alain uh, but was originally kind of a, a number 10 playmaker could play out wide kind of got pushed around a bit and came to Newell's and played as the central striker kind of in the the messy role I suppose if, if you would like the false nine and was exceptional scored loads of goals from all over you know, 30 yards out from 3 yards out uh, can dribble he's quick he, he's strong he's a great passer he's kind of got everything that uh, sounds not, sounds a lot more Sounds a lot more encouraging than the Virginie report. Um, so you, you're certainly going to be more suited to Gus Poyet's system then because that that's something... I mean, we've got a goal scorer here in Stephen Fletcher, but he is evidently struggling to, to adapt to the system that, that Poyet implements here. Well, Poyet's quite opinionated, and I think it could be that Poyet just doesn't like Fletcher as a player very much. I think it's his sort of player. Uh, at Brighton, he liked um, people like Ashley Barnes and Craig McCall-Smith who kind of run around like sheepdogs up front um, and Skoko would do that but he's got the added quality as well I'm not sure um, why he doesn't like Stephen Fletcher I think Fletcher's a decent player I think he scores goals in the Premier League but uh, Skoko would be a very good signing for, for Sunderland because he'd probably get you between 5 and 10 goals in the second half of the season which could be the difference between going down and staying up So you think he is more equipped then to come in mid-season into the Premier League and adapt? Um I mean, he would have been a better one in the summer when he was still confident, still on form from that great kind of time they had at Newell's. He's had a few months now at Internacional in Brazil where he would have lost his confidence and hasn't really been playing. So he's not got those goals kind of under his belt at the moment. But it wouldn't take long. He's, you know, he's a talented player and if he got back into the swing of things, he'd be a very important signing. Um, now, Mariano Andiyar, the goalkeeper, um, we believe that one might be close. Would he be likely to come in as cover for Munoni because isn't he, isn't he close to the Argentina squad and he, he's got his eye on the well, Argentina squad he's, he's number two keeper for Argentina but it's a curious one he's, he's number two for Argentina but the number one and number two are not terrific to be honest and uh, the number three keepers are usually someone from the local um, league who makes up the numbers uh, he's had a fairly 
ordinary first half of the season with Catania in Italy. But Romero's had a pretty awful first half of the season as well um, with his club. So it's very, it's, it's open. I think the fact is Argentina are always going to go with Romero over Anduja. But the guy wants to play for six months, Betis and Sunderland are interested. And if he can get a few months of first-team football under his belt and, and playing well, then fine. The weird com- um, comment from Poyet uh, on the radio this morning was that he likes South American goalkeepers. Uh, because in my experience they've all been kind of uh, high on style but low on substance but you know if that's what he's looking for then he could be the replacement for Maloney to be honest Well Maloney's actually been very good Um, since he's came in he's been probably one of our best players he's been excellent so I think it would take a weird move I I don't understand why he's trying to replace him at the moment um, so you think if he does do you think that'll be the deciding factor if he chooses to come to Sunderland it'll be purely because he's going to be first choice he'd be absolutely nuts to go there to be second choice uh, it's probably his best chance of getting the number one jersey as Argentine keeper and he still isn't a great chance but you know he, he if he goes to Betis or Sunderland he has to be playing every week and I imagine he'd need those reassurances I think the whole uh, fighting for the first choice keeper slot is not what he'll be after because it, that's kind of a synonym for being second choice isn't it mm. Mm. so maybe reading don't want to read too much in that the fact that Poyet his agent apparently spoke about it and Poyet he hasn't came out and definitively said that he's on his way here like he did like he did to Virginie so that's an no, interesting he, he, did, he did compliment him this mm. morning on uh, Indirecto in, in uh, Argentina mm-hmm. We're desperate. Radio. He, he said that he likes him as a goalkeeper and it's, a player, it's someone that he knows and he likes he didn't say anything about the about the transfer, but I'm just wondering. Animal. Yeah, I suppose I'm just wondering because because he's been so open about Virginia saying it's close. I'm wondering if maybe there could be an issue with the first team reassurances that you've mentioned there. Right. Because that may well be it, or there yeah. might just be a different stages of the deal. Uh, obviously, the Virginia being so close that they're confident enough to talk about it in the open. Um, quite often, if they're not quite there yet, then uh, they'll try and hold it back. But I imagine that will be the, the sticking point. There's no way that he should be coming here if he. It's going to be second fiddle. Absolutely no way. Okay, so we get a thumbs up for two out of three of those <coughs> players then, yeah? Uh, one and a half. <laughs> one and a half. Okay, thanks for your time, Ed. No problem. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Cheers, mate. From, the, from South America to the South Coast now, we've got our old friend Jabsco back on. We said this might happen, Jabsco, because you said to us initially, as soon as Bright Air Poyet came in and got the job, you said that you would be amazed if Bridcut wasn't one of the first signings he made it isn't confirmed yet, but it's looking like it's on the cards, isn't it? Yeah, no, certainly. So, I mean, the feeling this end is that it's it's a matter of time more than anything. Yeah. So we we mentioned before that the the, the role he plays in the side. Marshall's a back four. Uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Um. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I, from having watched a few of your games on Sky since uh, Gus took over. I imagine it'll be the role that, that Catamol's playing at the moment. It'll almost certainly slot into that. So it'll be playing in front of the two centre-backs. When you get possession, the two centre-backs split. He'll be the one that comes to get it off them. And, and when, he, when he was at the Albion under Gus, everything went through him. He was the pivot for, the, for almost every attack. So, um, yeah, almost strange in that position. He's almost probably as important when he has the ball as when he doesn't. For a defensive midfield player, that's, that's probably quite rare. Yeah, I'll bring Martin McFadden in. Martin, um, I mean, the the role that Jabsco's talking about there, Key initially started it. 
Um, Catamol mm. has now sort of adapted to it. Are we, are we surprised a little bit? We're not surprised that he's going for Bridcut because we always thought this would happen. But are we surprised that he isn't sort of targeting something higher up the field? Um, yes and no. I think we do see it needs somebody higher up the field. But at the same time, obviously with Catamol, his next suspension or injuries like generally round the corner. Yeah. Unfortunately, obviously we prefer that he was there all the time, but haven't been unavailable for like more than half the game since he joined the club. You're obviously going to need cover for him, and I think with Bridcut, he's not that old, so maybe the two of them could could share the position. I think one thing, James, we could say that one of Catamol's probably um, something he isn't always great at is is his mobility. I think there was an incident. There was an incident when Ryan Giggs had the ball. He hit the bar on Tuesday, and Catamol was quite slow closing him down. So if Bridcut's a little bit faster, a little bit fitter, that would make a little bit more sense as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, one of Lee's problems is that he's had a few injuries over recent recent years, and uh, and that's probably taken a bit out of him. You know, he's, uh, he was never the fastest player, but but he's lost a bit of pace um, because of those injuries, and and that's a bit of a problem. So, like you say, uh, Liam Bridcut's uh, younger and will probably bring a slightly different dimension in there. I mean, my question, Jab score to you is obviously, um, Gus will have seen plenty of of Liam Bridcut. And uh, clearly valued him at, at Brighton there. Uh, but do you think that he can make this the step up into the Premier League? Um, yeah, I mean the only the only question marks I think there's been down down here as to whether he could be as successful in that role in the Premier League as he is in in the Championship is perhaps his size. He's not the biggest of guys. Um, but then that's part of what makes him so mobile around the pitch. If he's a big, you know, strong, strapping guy, he wouldn't be so mobile. He wouldn't be so so fleet footed. I, I think. One of the things we've noticed is that when we played in the in the cups, we we played Newcastle twice and beat them both times. We we took Arsenal to to close at home last season. Mm-hmm. Bridcut thrived in those games, um, so that would that would suggest to some of us that perhaps he's more suited to the Premier League, where he perhaps will get a little bit more time on the ball than he does in the Championship. Um, and perhaps where that sort sort of player is a little bit rarer. Yeah. Um, and and. Will, will perhaps maybe sit off and let him play the football, let him get the ball from the back and dictate the play because his game is the way we played under Gus was very rare for, for the lower leagues. So it wasn't like you're taking a, a, a centre midfield player who's played 100 miles an hour football in the lower divisions, you're taking one who is essentially playing a Premier League style yeah. already, you're just adding him to hopefully better players. So I, I don't see a problem to be honest. Oh, that's good. If anything, without I think a lot of Brighton fans thought he'd perhaps go to a higher team. Right. So he's um, he's, he's got he's got he's got player of the season the last couple of times, hasn't he? As well, certainly last yeah, season. Yeah, he's walked it as well. I mean, it's been. I'd be surprised if he didn't get eighty, ninety percent of the votes from supporters. He's been been far and away the the, the most consistent player. I think the thing with the, the biggest compliment I could probably pay him is that I don't remember having ever seen him have a bad game. Um, he's had some amazing games, but I've never seen him have a bad game. He's always one of the two or three best players on the pitch. Um, and I think if you if you asked opposing fans in the Championship, they perhaps wouldn't notice the work he does quite so much. So when you see the end-of-season polls in magazines, you know, the best players of the Championship, he doesn't always feature. But I mm. think he's one of those players that if you see him week in, week out, you yeah. appreciate more of the work he does. It's always um, different live in the game, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think the one, one of the things that I perhaps... I know a lot of people up there seem to be suggesting by by a defensive minded player but the one thing he really allowed our team to do was he allowed the rest of the team to attack um, there was the security that he was there so he allowed our attacking players to be far more attacking mm-hmm. so it may be that by having him at Sunderland in the role he has 
it allows your attacking players that you do have to push further up a bit more attacking. So maybe you get a bit more out of them without necessarily replacing them. Yeah, just obviously um, it's interesting that you say that um, about that him giving the attacking players more opportunity to thrive. And I sort of see that. I think we spoke before about the importance of the full-backs and you know, we've seen that now. It's kind of how important they really are. This sort of like that out, it basically plays like an outside right or outside left sort of thing, yeah. sort of that auxiliary attacker. Um, so it is really interesting. But and sort of to get Brid cut to Sunderland, what's it going to take? Because obviously he's put a transfer request in apparently, which has been rejected. Is it is it a fact that Brighton know that we're so desperate to bring him in, or Gus really wants him that? They're just basically trying to drag it out for as long as possible to get as much money as they possibly can. It'll definitely happen, but it's just getting the deal right. I think it's a difficult one because he's still got eighteen months left on his contract. Um, so, and, and, and I, I've been at meetings where the chairman's spoken, and he he's a short sort of assured fans that that they don't want to sell anyone in this transfer window, and unless someone offers silly money for certain players, they won't they won't sell someone. And I think you can see by the way the club dealt with Gus before he left our chairman isn't one to sort of be rolled over and, and sort of cave in he he will if he doesn't want to sell him for say less than 4 million then he won't probably go for less than 4 million um, but that said he isn't an idiot and if the guy doesn't want to be there and he wants to go and play under Gus and he wants to play in the Premier League I don't think anyone can blame him for that and I think it will probably be more be a middle ground I don't think you'll pay what we value him is but i I don't also imagine that that our chairman is stupid or or um, petty enough just to put it off because it's Gus. I don't think uh, that's what a lot of Brighton fans are saying. I oh, don't sell him to Gus, but business club. You know, we're making eight nine million pound a year losses. We can't afford to to you know turn down two three million pounds for someone because you don't like the guy who's buying him. I guess it'd be interesting to see whether he features in the team this weekend. Um, I know he didn't last weekend, and I, I, I'm probably I'm not expecting him to this weekend. Mm. I'm really, I mean, we're quite well served in midfield, so it's not it's not perhaps the the loss it would have been perhaps last season. Yeah. Um, he didn't, he wasn't even on the bench last weekend, and the club said he had a, a minor knock. But I mean, <laughs> you never know. Minor yeah. knock yeah. up <laughs> two days two days before he had the transfer request in. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I don't. I'd, I personally don't see any reason why he wouldn't want to go to Sunderland. I know people down here are clutching at straws, perhaps a little bit, saying, "Oh, but you know, he'd have to move." Every, I can't think of a reason why he wouldn't go. Yeah. So, presumably, you know, player power as it is, I think a, a compromise will be made somewhere. Whether they 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 drag it out a little bit, not necessarily to be awkward, but just to eke a little bit more money, I don't know. Yeah. But I would expect him to go to Sunderland this window. How much do you think is a fair price? How much do you think um, people would be? Everybody would be happy with the fans and stuff if he's going to go and people come to come to terms with that. How much? How much are people sort of you know thrown around figure wise? I think I think the sensible supporters would probably say upwards of three million. Um, the part of the problem is is, is 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 made a bit of a rod for his own back here because when he was at the Albion he made the comments about he's good enough to play for Real Madrid. I'd sign him anywhere I wanted to go. He's, he made quotes last January saying that they were interested, but it would cost someone, it would be really expensive for anyone to buy him. So a lot of supporters are saying, well, you said that when you were our manager, so yeah. you shouldn't really be coming back and bidding £2 million for him now. Um, but I think part of it as well is that that's what Gus is very good at. He's very good at making players feel good about themselves. He's very good at boosting the confidence. At the same time, he said, I'll oh, wing a Will Buckley, who you were also rumoured to have bid for 
was better than Zahar and was worth more than 10 million. <laughs> I think the sensible fan took those with a bit of a pinch of salt. Um, and that's that's the reasons why the players love playing for him so much, because he does say things like that about them. Um, the money that went for people like Zahar and perhaps his room for people like Will Hughes, they're younger. They've got the, you're buying their potential. I think with Bridkite, you're getting what you're seeing. You're not going to get a, a drastically improved player. So I would think three, three and a half million would probably, most Brighton fans would, would, would sell for that. There appears to be a lot of goodwill toward, towards him in a way, almost sort of metaphorically patting him on the back and sending him on his, on his way, which seems a bit strange for a player this season. Yeah, I mean, I think the, thing, the one thing is that, that with Liam Bridcutt is he, you won't hear anyone have a bad word to say about the guy. He's, he's very humble, he's very human bloke. Yeah. You know, he's very, he, he goes out to a lot of the supporters' clubs, meetings, things like that. You know, he, 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 he's, very, he's quite shy, but he does, you know, he, he, he's a good professional player. Um, when, when Crystal Palace bid for him in the summer, I think if he'd gone there, he, people, there would have been hell to, all hell would have broken loose. Um, but I think probably, people probably accept now that the club have turned down one Premier League for him. It's, it's not really fair on him to, to turn down another. Um, and you know the, the the size of club we are, we're we're emerging, we're getting better. But at the moment, we're still a club that, you know, you can't necessarily hold players back when they when they have been a good servant. You, know, I think most people want to see him go and they want to see him do well. Okay, Fulham Saturday. Um... First thing I'm going to ask, Gareth, you just mentioned it there before when we were speaking about the Man U game. Adam Johnson into the team, yes? For Jack Arini, I'd imagine so, yeah. James, would you happy with that? Is he, his impact's been, he's had that much of an impact. He's been impactual in the last two games. <laughs> in the last two games. So, would you bring him back in, personally? Um, that's a, a tricky one, really. I don't know who I'd rather start of the, of the two of them. I, I like um, I like Jack Arini. Um, uh Personally, I'll go with Jacarini. Mm-hmm. Martin, it just seems to me that Adam Johnson's arguably put in two. I know he only he came on as a sub against Manchester United, but he's arguably put in two man the match performances in a row. Would it be fair not to sort of um, reward him with the starting players? Yeah, yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because he, he seems to have more impact coming on late in the game, you know, and um, he's kind of got those man of the match performances by like by not necessarily starting. So. By starting him, would that be the right thing? I mean, I think a lot of those, a lot of those, sort of creative players in the team do seem to benefit by coming on the last twenty-five minutes. Um, it's but well, I, there's, there's, there's got to be a certain amount of like rotation on Saturday because yeah. I think the two games in forty-eight hours are gonna, you know, are gonna have like an impact. I mean, like Poyet even asked for the Carlisle game to kick off an hour earlier. So we could have like an hour's more rest. Right, you know? okay. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> That's but why you, I kicked off it. You too. mentioned there uh, the rotating thing, um, uh, Gareth. The, the, the most impressive, one of the most impressive things about Poyet, we've said before, has been his substitutions, and that he always leaves something on the bench, doesn't he? You yeah. don't feel like he throws. He, you know, he plays his hand in one go. He's always got something on the bench to try and yeah. change again. Yeah, I think. I, I know what you're saying about Johnson doing better when he comes off the bench, but I just think. His confidence is maybe a bit well, more fragile and people give him credit for. And do you want to knock it by not? Do you want to knock it by not yeah. starting him after he's probably played his best spell of football in any game this season? Mm-hmm. Um, he's a funny character, isn't he? I mean, yeah. I thought he played. 
I thought he played better because he was getting a stick off the Man U fans. Mm, sort of same like um, you know. Mm. And he's, so, so obviously, like he, he's not the type of person who's going to give a hundred percent. Well, maybe he's not. Maybe that's a wrong say, say to say a hundred percent. But he's not going to perform consistently, um, and he needs he needs like a little bit of an incentive. You know, um, he needs to be like proving people wrong. And he, I don't think people can cut for the amount of money we spent on him. I don't think anyone would say he's been a successful signing. But at the same time, I think everyone knows he's a good player, so it's how to get the best out of him. But you're right about the way he uses substitutions, but it's generally like creative players that he comes on, like game changers. Um, and I think people know that if they don't start, they're going to get some game time. Um, so I don't think people are that disappointed about being on the bench. Mm. My, my reservation about playing uh, Adam Johnson down at Fulham is just, as we've been saying here, you're never quite sure about what you'll get. Um, if it'll be a game that passes him by, or if it's mm. a game that that he'll you know seize by the neck, like like when he came on against Man Man U, um, and I think this game against Fulham is so important. You need uh, a team that you can rely on to to produce on the day. But that's that's my my mm. thinking. Personally, from pers- personal perspective, I'd think you'd swap Jack Rainey with Johnson. That would be my opinion. He likes certainly likes a trio, Gareth, doesn't he? Yeah. Of Larson, Katamalki at the moment, those his favoured three. Could you see him change and bring in Callback in? Perhaps Martin's made a point there. Callback played a full game against mm. Carlisle. He didn't feature it all against Man Man United, so there's a chance he could come in for Larson, perhaps. Maybe, but I think I'd keep that midfield three as it was. They've had a, a week, well, a, a relatively decent break there. I mean, Larson didn't. Well, Larson played against Carlisle, didn't he? And then he played. Yeah. Then he that's, played that's, that yeah. full game. Callback's I mean, in it, the back of my mind. It's an interesting it's point, but I, I agree just, with Callback, like. And we've got no, we've actually got no midweek game next week as mm. well. So bring Carl back in for Larson. You think perhaps? I'd yeah, keep, I'd keep Larson. Because you've in. got to consider the Catamol didn't play against Carlisle as well. Yeah. So he's had his game rest there. He's I never, would, he's never, ever, yeah. ever, ever, ever going to drop key. Let's face it. I wouldn't be so disappointed. Would, I wouldn't be disappointed if if Callback yeah. came in for Larson. It wouldn't be a, a massive problem. But I just say, it's, I think it's not that much yeah. different, really, is it? To I be thought fair. Larson had such a good game. Especially away from home, where Callback doesn't yeah. need it. You know, there isn't the demand for him to sort of be as purposeful yeah. on the ball as he is maybe in home games when he goes yeah. into his shell a little bit. Away from home, it isn't necessarily a bad thing because Fulham, yeah. let's fa- let's face it, Fulham are going to fancy this. Yeah. They're going to see this as a, as a three-pointer for them and they're going to be coming at us, aren't they? Yeah, I think yeah. I, th- I think if we start with Callback and then take him off after an hour and bring Larson on, you'll get more creativity from Larson in that time, You know, presuming we're, we're not losing heavily at that at that point. But I haven't been that impressed by, by Fulham this season, but we don't seem to be kind of turning it on against... You know, like West Ham away and Villa away, are good examples where we kind of dominated the game. Uh, they, dominated were the, they were like sitting ducks, weren't they? They were and we, after take, and, and we didn't we, we, yeah. did, we didn't take advantage of them. But I think the main problem of the team is the fact that he doesn't fancy either of the strikers. Not that he doesn't know which one he likes the best. I just don't think either fit into his system. And I think if you can bring a striker in in this window, you'll see a different team. It's 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 certainly the case that uh, Stephen the Stephen Fletcher thing is interesting. Is that do we do we Expect him to still be around, James. I know. Again, Nick Barnes was trying to prompt him this early, and he was he wasn't giving much away, but he wasn't. He certainly wasn't. He didn't seem to be closing the suggestion off that he didn't. That's the interesting thing, isn't it? You, you know, if you want to pour cold water on something, it's fairly easy to do, and he didn't. And he didn't take the opportunity to do that. I think, like like all players, um, I, th- I think Stephen Fletcher's got his price. If Sunderland, mm. if Sunderland uh, can get good money for him, money that they can reinvest on players that would fit into the Poyet system. I would expect them to take it. Um, I, I really would this, this month. The question is whether you'd get an acceptable offer and could you get a decent replacement? Because you can't let him go until you've got a, well, a replacement. I, I, I think they're only looking to get him to get rid of him 
if they're going to bring somebody in and they've obviously got people in mind presumably not Danny Graham this year though you, well you know <laughs> we spoke about this earlier on Danny Graham's actually played this system he probably suited more to it than Fletcher it's, it's Fletcher suddenly become a syllable asset Gasset uh, Gasset Gareth Gasset 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 Mike Bassett yeah Wow. Has he suddenly? Do you that know? Was quite a mispronunciation. Yeah, that but he's, one. he's gone from you know he's got he's gone from sort of golden boy, hasn't he? To, to I think it's just a system, isn't it? Mm. It seems like it's a system rather than anything. For example, if he went a hull, I could see him do yeah. really do well there. And it's almost a case of, and I think I said this in the Rock Report uh, midweek. It's almost a yeah. case of you don't want him, but you don't yeah. want anyone else to have him. If you give him the chances, he'll put them away. Sort of in in that situation, but his first touch is poor. His holder plays poor. He's, he's not a threat in the air and when he does try to kind of put his weight around he tends to give away mm. free kicks because you know and he, he, did, he did have a meeting with his agent like mm. on a Sunday night after the after the Carlisle game his agent was round his house so I mean obviously people speak to their agents all the time but when it happens in this in month in a transfer window yeah. then, then you know there's only speculation um, so I, I think you know they might have sort of said to him if we bring this player in you need to be ready to ship him out and there's always there's always deals that are kind of lined up and deals yeah. on the table if that other deal happens, you know. They're all in relation to each other, so his suitcase is packed and ready at the door. But we, it's interesting, Gareth, because Martin just mentioned about these capabilities in the air there, but we was, we've been seeing off air a lot, haven't we, that he's got a lot of headers for Wolves, didn't he? And it, it just it just it doesn't seem different at all. It's I different just mean in terms of playing yeah. the ball to mm. him in the air. Like, you know, from yeah. set pieces, like yeah. he's tall enough to, to have an impact, but if you play the ball to him, like here... For like sort of mm. from his chest upwards. So it hold, it holding holding up rather than attacking the ball. Yeah, yeah. The thing it's it's funny about Fletcher is that there's kind of this thing. It's like and Martin said it there. If you give him the chance, he score goals, and that he will. That's what you expect of him. But I just kind of feel it's like out the door gets a lot of stick. Um, you know, he hasn't been brilliant um, at all. But you know, he's he's got attributes to his game that kind of lend themselves to being more of a. Of a, of a traditional sort of hold up centre forward or whatever which isn't in Fletcher's sort of remit with Fletcher you kind of just feel it's like why doesn't Fletcher get the stick that Altador does because they both really haven't delivered this season and why is it that Fletcher it's alright for him to just kind of stroll along in a game and have, have, it, have it expected that he's going to have all these chances laid on for him to score he's got he's to work for his opportunities if they're not coming into him he's got to offer a bit more if it's not his game, that's fine. But you've got to at least try and show it. And I think at t- sometimes, at times this season, he hasn't done that. I'd actually, I'd actually like to single out Barini because since he mm. came in against Chelsea in the cup, he's been superb. I think like, because we've t- even talked about. I, I know I actually haven't done a bit of research. Or I've been told that if we, even if we sent Barini back, we couldn't get another loan because we'd have registered a loan that season. So that's not a possible thing to do. But it had been mooted, would gone always oh, the right player for the system. But he seems to have really grown into his role in the side in that position. Has he played up front on his own at, at all? No. I would, I wouldn't play him there. No, no. But we don't know. Could he be better than those two? But I just think he's learned that position that he's been playing. Mm. It's like he's under, it's sort of he's got this understanding of what he's doing now, and he's really flourishing there. I think. He's, I think he's been one of our best players this month. And this is proof, James. Sometimes, essentially, players just need a run of games because. He always looked like he was a decent player, but it's only when he's had a sustained um, spell in the side that he's really starting to look apart now, isn't it? Yeah, he's, he, you know he cost a lot of money when he when he arrived at Liverpool. Um, you know he's, he's not a bad player, 
Um, he's he's come to Sunderland and he's, he's and I think he's, he's he's impressed when he's when he's had the opportunity. Um, he scored a couple of crucial goals. Um, you know, he, he comes on and, and he affects games, and, and he's not bad when you start him out wide. Uh, as Gareth said, I'm not so sure I'd, I'd play him up front on his own, um, but maybe that's just because because for me he looks as though he hasn't got the physical build to do it. But um, you know, it might come to a point where you might want to try it. But but I can't see him in in that role personally. This thing is movement's quite dangerous, and maybe mm. it'd be less effective. That's that's, that's probably his best. Forward play sort of element as he a striker, good runs, good runs and yeah. maybe you'd take that away from him if he if he played. He'd be making runs off the shoulder, but we're not we're not the kind of team who's going to be sliding balls in behind centre halves. Yeah. So we we work it across the box, try and get the fullback inside the box, and that's that's the kind of what we're trying to work. But in terms of like closing players down when when we haven't got the ball, he's like faster and fitter than the two forwards yeah. we've been playing up front, and and neither of them seem to like even bother their arse and like closing anyone down I mean Jack Jack Arini's an interesting one um, I, you know it's a, he's been linked with Genoa as well as where Cabral's gone um, if you got 6 million quid for him would you be tempted to take it and replace him with somebody else I, I just think it hasn't really worked out for him I don't I think he's a good player and he does some good stuff but at times he just seems a little bit lightweight um, and he doesn't really seem to be able to fit into the system that Poyet wants to play personally even though you me, think he should be ideal in there personally for me I'd, I'd rather he didn't make wholesale changes, changes again and for that reason I'd rather just see how he can strengthen the centre midfield he's not being S- impactful though, see, you, well he hasn't no but uh, I think he'd rather um, I'd rather him short, short the, the centre midfield to be that platform was said to give these attacking players a chance then maybe look at that one at the end the of the summer. season yeah Martin Gust said today that this game isn't like a final but he thinks it's like a semi-final <laughs> um, <laughs> two semis in a week yeah exactly um, <laughs> did a fine call yeah you know worst case scenario on this game you know it isn't one we can really afford to lose is it I think we need to start like turning these you know like I said the, the Villa and the West Ham games were like Villa away and West Ham away were like really disappointing where we kind of controlled the game they were poor and we didn't like win, and I think we need to start turning these like those those type of games in, into wins if we're gonna if we're gonna stay up and stay in touch. Because I think one of the reasons why we're still in touch is because a lot of the teams around us are are getting worse. And 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 when we've got the opportunity, like we did at Cardiff to get out of the bottom three, and against Villa we haven't taken it. So I think um, I think we need to win this game. But I say that every week. I think I think you're right. I think if you look at Fulham, you know Fulham are a couple of points outside the relegation zone, um, but over the last month they've had wins against uh, against Villa, against Norwich, against West Ham. They've won against the teams down in the bottom half, mm. which Sunderland haven't, uh, and that's the difference. Sunderland have picked up points against you know the likes of Villa and uh, Cardiff. Uh, well, picked up a point against Cardiff, but if they if they won that game, uh, beaten West Ham rather than drawing, you might be looking at Sunderland being out of the bottom three and not uh, Fulham. Yeah, and if you look at our next away few away games after that, sorry, right. like the, we've got a really hard run of away games coming towards the end of the season, so we need to start picking up points on the road. On that note, what about predictions then, Martin? Um, I think we'll win one nil. James, I'm saying away win. I'm going to say three one to Sunderland. Really? That mm. was three one last season, mm. wasn't it? I just, I just fancy it. Like I fancy to score some goals. We created quite a lot mm. of chances recently. I do, I do as well. I'll go for way one as well. Just on the the fact yeah. that, like, you know, we've all touched up on it. It's obvious. It isn't rocket science. We are struggling to beat the sides who are who are putting ten men behind the ball, challenging us for breaking mm. them down. We can't do it. Fulham won't do that. 
Um, and if there's a chance that they are slipping into their comfort zone at all, I think we could really capitalise. Maybe that's why we've been a bit more successful against the better sides we've played in the cup. Well, maybe they've exactly. been a bit more open exactly. and we've capitalised. I definitely does, think there's before some truth we, in that. Before we finish, does Martin want to plug uh, the LS buses for the second leg of the cup tie? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to go down, travel with the LS. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to that game because. Like there's nothing like a good away following, you know. Mm. And um, I would have been happy taking a draw down there, but since we've uh, since we're taking a, like a two-one a two-one lead, I think it could be a great night. Mm. Special, it could be a special night. Hopefully, or a disaster. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, hope to see you all there. It seems like everybody was everybody's got a ticket, but then I did yeah. think everybody that, went to the cup run. Didn't well, they? I did. Yeah. Well, I did think that for the Manu game, everybody I was speaking, you know, I've got a ticket for this one, and you get there, there's hardly anybody there, right? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so we'll be back next week with some more guests. Thanks for listening. As always, over and out. <laughs>